Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to cover part two of our two-part series on Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 26, speaking of the last days. Okay, let's go. Jesus was on his own turf, in his own town, in the synagogue, having recently spent 40 days in the wilderness, overcoming Satan's temptations, he now began to present some very good news. Standing, he took the scroll of Isaiah the prophet and opened it to what we now call chapter 61. And reading from verses 1 and 2, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's the good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You can check out Luke 4, 18 and 19 for that. At this point, He closed the scroll, sat down, and with every eye fixed on him, began and said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, of course, those around were astounded at such a proclamation. But something important happened in what he didn't read. You see, the passage runs from verse 1 to verse 3. And Jesus stopped in the middle of verse 2. The clear implication was unspoken. This part of the passage, not read, remained as yet unfulfilled. What immediately follows in verse 2 is, quote, a day of vengeance, unquote. And then a comforting and consoling of those in Zion who mourn. That's implicitly the Jews. Thus a period of vengeance and mourning yet to come. But when? Well, turn to Daniel 9. In our last lesson, we looked at a period of time described in verses 24, 25, and the first part of 26 as a total of 69 consecutive seven-year periods called weeks, which culminated with Christ's first coming and specifically his entrance into Jerusalem while being hailed as king. See Luke 19.38. Therefore, one seven-year period remained. But what is the cause of the disconnect? Why is this last week separated from the first 69? Well, let's look again at the passage. In verse 26, the Messiah is, quote, cut off or killed. And then the, quote, people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, this part was clearly fulfilled exactly as Christ himself prophesied in Matthew 24, 1 and 2, which say that the stones of the temple buildings would be thrown down. In 70 AD, four Roman legions destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Quote, The prince who is to come may, as many scholars assert, point to the coming Antichrist, who we are shown in other prophecies, arises to power in the 
revived Roman Empire. More on that in another study. And so the, quote, people of the prince would speak of the Romans just as was fulfilled. Now, the next part of the 70-week prophecy there in Daniel says, The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined or decreed. So, during the period of time between when Messiah was cut off, that's after the first 69 weeks, and the last week, we have a war and some decreed desolations, all culminating with a flood. Well, what is this war? What is this flood? And what are these desolations? I believe this war is that which has been going on since the time Messiah was cut off. It is a war between Israel and the Lord, a conflict in which Israel has stubbornly continued to reject the gracious covenant of God through Christ's atoning blood. But the war will end. Isaiah the prophet writes, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That's Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2. And next, what is this flood spoken of in Daniel's prophecy? Well, this isn't the ordinary word used in the Bible for a flood. This word literally means a cleansing overflow. And I believe it refers to that which is spoken of in the following three passages, as well as many others. Now, the first one is Zechariah 13.1, which says, In that day, let's talk about the last days, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And next, out of Isaiah 44, verses 1 through 3, it says, Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord, who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, for I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And then finally, from Zechariah 12, verse 10, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. So the desolations were to the land and to the temple Concerning the land, Josephus, who observed the Roman conquest, wrote, quote, The Romans, though it was a terrible struggle to collect the timber, raised their platforms in 21 days. They stripped the whole area in a wide circle around the town to a distance of 10 miles. The countryside, like the city, was a pitiful sight. 
For where there had once been a lovely vista of woods and parks, there was nothing but desert and stumps of trees. No one, not even a foreigner, who had seen the old Judea and the glorious suburbs of the city, and now set eyes on her present desolation, could have helped sighing and groaning at so terrible a change, for every trace of beauty had been blotted out by war, and nobody who had known it in the past and come upon it suddenly would have recognized the place. When he was already there, he would still be looking for the city. Even Mark Twain, who toured the area in the late 1800s, described it as an unbelievable desolation. Concerning the temple or sanctuary, the Romans dismantled the temple Herod built stone by stone. In addition, we know from prophecy that the Antichrist will desolate the coming tribulation temple. See Matthew 24:15 and Daniel 12:11. So then it's clear that two temples, note the plural, will be desolated during this period. This is predicted in Leviticus 26, where the Lord, in answering a stubbornly rebellious Israel, says, quote, I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. Again, note the plural. And I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. That is, the sacrifices offered will not be acceptable to him. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. That's out of Leviticus 26, verses 31 and 32. However, as desolations came upon God's people, land, and the first temple, in Christ he was building another corresponding, matching, complementary set. He made a new people who were not a people, bringing new birth to individuals all around the world, the mostly Gentile church. See 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Also, he has prepared a new place or land for them. That is in heaven. See John 14, 1 through 3. And he is forming a new glorious temple or tabernacle by joining together all genuine believers. See Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. But the Gentile church, let me say this, is not a replacement for the Jewish people. The church is not Israel of prophecy. Israel is the Israel of prophecy. We say that again. Israel is the Israel of prophecy. When all the Gentiles who are saved in Christ have come into his family, well, the age will be ended. A wrap. Done. Finito. See Romans 11, verse 25. But that's not the end of God's plan. The scripture says that Jesus will come for his bride, that's us who believe, and will take her home. In this, there is a wonderful alignment symbolically, even with the old Jewish wedding practice. You see, it used to be in the Hebrew nation that when a man would desire a woman for his own, he would come to the house of her parents and pay the price for her. He would then return to the home of his father and would prepare an addition to his house for himself and his new bride. Meanwhile, as the bride-to-be did not know when her bridegroom would come back, 
She would wait eagerly for him, prepared for his imminent return. But even the bridegroom did not know the day of his return, for it was his father who would finally say that the new dwelling place was finished. And when he did, the bridegroom would come for the bride, accompanied by all his friends. He would take her then to himself and bring her back to his home, where a grand wedding feast would be held. Then she would be intimately cared for in her new home, away from the public eye, for one week. After this, they would both emerge and she would be displayed publicly as his new bride. You know, this parallels perfectly the great anticipation of the church as the bride of Christ. Christ did come and paid the fantastic price for us with his own blood. He then returned to the Father, where he is preparing, even now, our new home in heaven. The time in which he has been gone has been the church age, in which he said he would be with us in the Spirit always. And when he returns to take us home, there will indeed be a glorious wedding feast, and we will spend the next seven years or a week on a rapturous honeymoon. After this, we will return with him to earth to save the remnant of his people and conquer planet earth. But while we who believe are gone to heaven, that is, during this week of heaven, there's a week of hell back on earth. This, my friends, is the 70th week of Daniel 9. This is, my friends, the 70th week of Daniel chapter 9 prophecy, just as with each of the first 69 weeks, a seven-year period. You see, the church was not present during the first 69 and will not be present on earth for the 70th. Specifically, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. See Jeremiah 30, verse 7. And the church age is about to close. From Abraham to Christ was approximately 2,000 years. And so also with this present church age. It's a perfect balance, if you would. It's no accident that the entire church, Jew and Gentile believers in Christ, is called the dwelling place of God. In fact, the wall of the original tabernacle in the Old Testament was a beautiful type and symbol of this. Check out Exodus 26, 1 through 8. There we see that the tabernacle's walls were made of ten curtains, grouped specifically in two sets of five. Number five is the number of grace in the Bible. The two groups of five were then joined together by fifty gold clasps. Now, fifty is the number of jubilee in this scripture. Refer to Leviticus 25.10. And when you read about it, recognize, I hope, that, of course, Jesus Christ is our jubilee. And so, pictured here in the design of the curtain walls of God's dwelling, we are saved by grace and joined together in Christ, Jew and Gentile believers together. But the 70th week is designed to prepare the Jewish bride, for her husband. She has not yet accepted his spirit, which in the scriptures is typified frequently by oil. 
she is not ready for his appearing. Jesus may have spoken this when in Matthew 25, after describing the great tribulation and the unexpectedness of the rapture, he speaks of five, remember the tabernacle walls? Five wise or saved virgins and five foolish or as yet unsaved virgins. The latter couldn't get into the wedding feast. They had no oil. However, the 70th week will prepare them. It will complete the tapestry, if you would, of the spiritual tabernacle. And it's right around the corner. Are you ready? If so, you can say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.